everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Annie and I are diving back into the mailbag. We got a great letter from a technician who is concerned about one of her fellow techs. This person has been a longtime tenured employee, was previously really engaged and a rock star on the team, and now just seems very burned out. And the technician who wrote us is really concerned about some of their behaviors and wondering, when is burned out too burned out to keep on going? Let's get into this one. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie, the point of no return, Gus. <laughs> How's it going, Andy Rourke? Oh, my God, <laughs> Becky. Look at my summer. It is uh, so out of control. I am just, I am on, I'm on a roller coaster that just hasn't stopped back at the station for like five times. And I'm like, yep. this was fun. And now I'm just holding on and feeling kind of beaten up. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm ready to get off. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm ready. Yep. To, I have to go to the bathroom and I would like this roller coaster <laughs> to stop. I need everyone to stop screaming around me. I would like, stop the summer. I'm ready to get off and go back to <laughs> go back to real life. It is ready for kids to go back to school. I'm ready. I have done all the things I wanted to do this summer. But yeah, it's uh it's been good. How about you? Uh yeah, it's it's crazy right now. I first of all, I it's I miss seeing your face. It's so I'm like so glad that I'm staring at you right now because I haven't seen you in like a week and a half because I was uh, on vacation. Uh but yeah, same. I had that coming down from the vacation high on Monday because I uh I was unplugged, uh spent time with my kids and I was trying really hard to not have a repeat of last summer's failures. Um, And in fact, our friend Eric Garcia and Tyler and I are going to do a repeat podcast about (laughs) about this year's challenge. About your failure to unplug? (laughs) For unplugging. I did. I did much better this year. But um, in my effort to do much better, I like didn't look at anything until I sat down at my desk on Monday morning. And then it was like, <laughs> shit exploded. <laughs> well, and part of that was me. And here's why. Because you're not the only one who hasn't seen me in a while. No one's seen me in a while. And right. not because I've been doing things, because everyone else has been doing things. Like my children are at different summer camps. camps. My wife went on a business conference. It's yep. just me by myself. And I... First of all, I just, the first thing I did was watch all the movies that I don't get to watch when right? other people are around. Uh-huh. And that took about a day. I watched, <laughs> I watched Renfield with, with, uh, with uh, Nicolas Cage as Count Dracula. I watched, uh, I watched The Expanse, I, uh, the TV show, I watched a number of things. And then I was kind of done. And now at this point, no one has come home. It's right. still just me by myself. I'm into weird shit now, Goss. Like I ordered... <laughs> I ordered a whetstone from Amazon and sharpened my kitchen knives to the point that like I throw f- I throw fruit in the air and cut it in half. Like that's how sharp my knives are right now. I bought I bought patio furniture last night because it was prime day and I was like I was, was like, going to ask you. I was going to ask cuz it's prime day when we're recording this. So what uh what did you trip over your fingers and buy? I I bought a whole set of patio furniture that my wife is going to be Surprise. She's gonna be surprised by it, but <laughs> I I sent her a text message that says, I made a purchase. If you hate it, we'll send it back. Um and then that was the text. And then I went to bed and didn't respond to any of her follow-up questions, which got increasingly frantic as time went on. I because she's on her business trip and she's imagining oh, God, yeah. did he buy a car? Did he oh. like, what what just oh, yeah. happened? Yeah. She, I guarantee, on uh, when Poor if you Allison. made her list the things, the patio furniture wouldn't have come up. It was not a family purchase we were planning on, but I was just like, I'm doing it. Oh. No one's here to stop me. <laughs> it's like when you leave your dog and they just chew something up, and you're pretty sure it's out of spite, but you can't prove it. She's like, I left him, and so he bought patio furniture. I think he was resentful, but I'm not sure. Anyway, I went to uh, I went to a CrossFit pool party uh, oh because they, the 4th of July party was held late. Uh-huh. And so I went to the CrossFit pool party, which you would have really enjoyed. Um, I love the CrossFit people that I go to the gym with, but I'm not going to lie. Uh, there was very small swimsuits 
and <laughs> lots of posing around the pool. I was going to say, I mean, I would expect no less for a CrossFit party. Yeah. Like, it was, I mean, uh, you like to show off your guns. I can only imagine I, like people who are hardcore, 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 hardcore oh, yeah. CrossFitters and their amazing bodies showing up there to was, like. There was lots out. of like drinking beverages in ways that really made your biceps stand out. Like a lot of that was going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was a lot of. There was a lot of just standing and very, like, you know, when models are stand casually, it was a lot of that. Um, but yeah, that was it. So I went, to, I went to the CrossFit pool party and I was like, Stephanie Goss would never stop giggling if she was here. Oh, man, I, w- I would not. I would have been I would have been highly amused for probably like. 0.5 seconds and then I would have felt wildly uncomfortable <laughs> and been like yeah this is this is not my thing why did I let Andy drag me to this yeah I would have been like come on guys let's go to the cross I mean I, like I, I could make them all feel good about themselves because I would just oh, be no. like rocking my middle-aged mom bod and no, <laughs> just I, be like hi no, that was that was me. I, you know, it's funny. I have a role at the CrossFit gym, and it's the floor. Like I am the floor above which others soar. Basically, it's my experience in vet school, where like I help make the top half of the class possible. Look really good. Like I provide, yeah, I provide the bottom part of the CrossFit uh, experience, so others can can monitor their progress as they shoot past me as I get older and older and older. All right. Okay. That's it. Well, so so th- that's what I've been doing. Well, and not only that, like, so it's been busy for both of us personally and work has been insane. So came back on Monday and my desk was piled full of crap that my kids dumped there, but also like 9,000 messages and emails and everything. And so uh, we did a thing this week. In fact, we did a thing just yesterday. Yeah. We did a really big thing. And so so it's been a little busy. It has been a little busy. Um, It's been crazy. We opened up registration for... Our medical director summit, our team lead summit, our culture conference, and our practice leader summit, which is open to in person and open to uh, practice owners and practice managers. And so that was we opened up all those things just yesterday. And we're not done for the year, but those are those are the big things. So, yeah, I'm super excited about this stuff. There's multiple new events in there and revamping of uh, old events that we have done before in lots of different ways. And so it has been a busy time for the team. And like you said, we're not done. And so it was like, okay, uh, we're just going to coast over the top of this hill. And then we're still running, running, running because there's another hill in front of us. So it has been busy. I am very excited to see you this weekend because we are headed to AVMA. Yeah, uh, and I, I can't wait uh, to see all of our friends and, and have that midsummer energy. And you're speaking there. You're speaking on Friday at AVMA, which is the day before I had get there. They they moved you forward. <laughs> and so I, uh, you're I will gonna, not be able you're to see miss you. It. Yeah. But you know what? You have a history of uh, trying to miss out on my lectures. <laughs> not being able Maybe to not. get into the room because they're crazy packed is the history. <laughs> Well, uh, fingers crossed that ABMA goes goes well. This will come out after that. But I'm excited to see your face. And uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of conversations like what we're going to talk about today there with our colleagues because it's summer. It's crazy. It's busy. And I think this uh, we got a message in the mailbag that kind of fits with a lot of that summer crazy for people, but also like long term. Um, We got a letter from someone that I just loved. Uh, It's from (laughs) it's from concerned for her, but also for the patients, which I thought was a great uh, moniker for themselves. So someone who wrote in and said, hey, we have a a technician on our team who has recently just just seems to decide that she just doesn't give a crap anymore. Um, She's very polite to pet owners and other team members when they talk to her and interact directly, but she just doesn't seem to be trying um, and she's not doing things. She's making uh, mistakes and she doesn't seem to not be trying to not make mistakes. So like they gave some examples, you know, recently sent 
home a patient that had been dropped off without uh, all of the vaccines that they came in for. Uh, and when someone brought it up and they were talking to her, she just kind of was like, meh, whatever. Um, and this is a team member who previously had a ton of hustle and heart and cared. Um, and the team is worried, this person included, because it seems like they're, this uh, tech is just super, super zoned out. Um, and the person who wrote in to us is also a, f- a fellow technician. And um, when they talk, tried to talk to her one-on-one, the response was kind of just like, hey, it's just a job. You know, I don't, the, the fact that I'm making more mistakes, it d- didn't seem to bother her. And this technician who wrote us was really concerned because they were like, look, I know we've been shorthanded. Everybody is burnt out. It's summer. It's busy. We're shorthanded. But at what point does it, does it get to the point of no return, right? At what point does it get to burned out being too burned out to to be allowed to keep going um, because this tech is concerned for her fellow tech, but also for the patients. And I just thought this was a, a, a fun one for us to talk through. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, this is this is a good one. And I see I see this a lot. Boy, it's really sad. The thing, uh, What breaks my heart the most is when you were working with somebody and they love their job and they were really into it. And then they are, they are not in love with it anymore. Mm-hmm. And the thing that breaks my heart is one, clearly something has happened in this person's life and that's, that's right. that has taken, taken their joy away. And that's just frankly, really, really sad. The other thing is that it's, it's worse to have someone who was really, who really loved their job and did a great job and then sort of just ends up quitting, like quiet quitting then it is to have someone who was never good at the job or right. never really loved it because yep. it was like you because you know how happy they were or they could be. And it's almost like I'd rather not know that they could be so happy uh, because then it doesn't make it so stark when you look at them and go, God, you that you're you're really in a very, very different place. And I'm I'm not serious about it, about about, you know, wishing to not have seen them happy. But um, but you get the, the point. It really is that dichotomy is really significant. You know, you have something to compare yeah. to. You can well, compare where they are now to where they have been in the past, and it's really hard. Right. I think subconsciously you know the difference and you can see it. And so the subconscious expectation on your part is, you know, if they had previously been at, you know, 100 and you've seen them at that point, like you subconsciously have that expectation. And so it makes it all the more stark when it drops um, off. And, you know, we all have good days and bad days and we all have days where maybe we generally perform, you know, at at 100 percent or 110. But then we have days that are crappy days. That's easy. But when it falls into that pattern, it sub subconsciously we can't help but judge how different it is now compared to how it was previously. Oh, totally. We I mean, we I mean, everything, the way we're wired is about comparison, you know, and when we, I think that's why we pick up on that a lot. A lot of times there's people who are, you've, I mean, you've seen people who you know who are happy, happy, bouncy people. And then one day they're not and you go, oh my gosh, are you okay? Yeah. Versus other people that are not happy, happy, bouncy people and they might <laughs> behave the exact same way and you wouldn't think twice about it. You know, it's just <laughs> who they are, you know? I'm laughing because I'm thinking about, I'm actually thinking about you and me. You and I have had this yeah. conversation because um, I am one of those happy people. Yeah. <laughs> Shock, shocking, I think, to everybody who's listening to the podcast right now, uh, that I could be bubbly and happy and outgoing. Um, and I recall several occasions where you called me and you were just like, hey, I love yeah. you. And what is happening with your face? Because you're normally so happy and upbeat. And when we have a team meeting or we're working on something and other people can see you and you're not yourself, like it is that stark, noticeable difference and it impacts everyone. And so, you know, we you were teasing me when you're like, hey, what's up with your face? But really, it is that stark difference when you have somebody who is so quiet and I mean, so crazy and loud and outgoing. And then they're suddenly very quiet. I have gotten that at multiple times um, in my life as a as an extrovert, as an outgoing person. Uh, yeah, I remember those conversations. I think I remember using the term poopy pants. Uh, <laughs> poopy pants. But it was. But, and, 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 but, I said, but I said it to you. I was like, this isn't fair. But the fact that you were known for being so bubbly and happy means that when you show up and you're not, people are like, what's wrong with Stephanie? Right. Versus other people show up and they're just not bubbly and happy because that's just how they are and no one bats an eye. And I'm not saying you shouldn't 
be your authentic self. But it is it is just something to be aware of that you know people people pay attention to who you are and they look for deviations from the mean. Right. It's funny. It's it's why we'll put up with jerks sometimes because they're always jerks. But if someone's a nice and then they come in and they be a jerk, you're like, this is a big deal. Yes. But the person who's just always a jerk, you just learn to ignore them because yes. you're like, that's how they are. And I'm just going to ignore them. And, yes. and you could write them off. But it's, it's just interesting. That that contrast from expected norms is what hammers points homes for a lot of people. So anyway, that's that's just kind of what I was thinking when I said it was particularly sad. But let's, go, let's, get, into, let's get into talking about this. You ready? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Sweet. So let's start with some headspace. The, the big thing that I, I want to start with is, is this. Um, I think one of the healthiest things that we can do in our lives is develop the habit of separating people from their behaviors. Yes. And saying, and re- instead of being like, this person is toxic or this person is a jerk or this person is whatever. The person is the person and they are exhibiting behaviors. Yeah. And the behavior does not define the individual, you know, Um my friend is not a jerk. My friend is, uh, he is exhibiting jerky behavior, but that's different from being a jerk. And I just think it it makes, it immediately makes people easier to get along with and to like, and everything doesn't feel so final. If you're exhibiting jerky behavior, then you can stop exhibiting jerky behavior and that will be over. But if right. you are a jerk, then becoming not a jerk is a long process and much more challenging than just, hey, stop doing the behavior that is bothering people. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And so, I do. And so when we start talking about this person who's burned out, I think it's one of the immediate headspace things that I would do is I would I would walk back the label of this person is burned out. I would say this person is exhibiting signs of burnout. They are, you know, exhibiting behaviors that make me worry about patient safety. They say they are showing a lack of engagement. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make me feel like I'm judging this person as an individual. And that's going to become important uh, when you see kind of where we're going. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think your your point is spot on because when we get into the actual conversation and, and this tech who wrote us has already experienced that, right? They they had the conversation, they pointed it out and said, you know, I, I'm worried because you're making too many mistakes. It's very, the difference between feeling like someone is calling you a jerk or someone is telling you that you're burned out versus what you said, which is, hey, here's an example of behavior that makes me concerned for you. I'm concerned you're exhibiting some signs of burnout. Like, where, where are you at? The way that someone can receive that is very, those two things are very starkly different. You know, if somebody comes to me and tells me, hey, you're a jerk, I'm going to immediately go on the offense, right? And I'm yeah. going to either get to get, I mean, they're going to go d- defensive and be like, no, I'm not. Or I'm going to attack back because I feel attacked, right? Whereas if somebody says to me, hey, that thing you just said, you you sounded like a, a total a-hole, you know, yeah. <laughs> like maybe, maybe think about that. There is just something very different in that approach to be able to be like, Oh, and without even thinking, I pause and think and rewind what I did instead of immediately trying to mm. defend myself or attack back at the person. Yeah, but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna. There's a reason I put this in headspace too, is because you're right. One for having the actual conversation, talking to the person about the, their behavior instead of about who they are mm-hmm. or what they're being. Mm-hmm. Yes, significantly easier, significantly more productive, significantly easier to coach and give feedback to. All those things are true. However, I would stress that for me, not only does it make the actual conversation easier, it is an important part of Headspace. And the reason it's important part of Headspace is this, what I'm getting ready to say right now. Okay. You can care about someone and also decide not to be in a toxic relationship with that person. And, but you can only do that if you can separate the person, and the behavior, right? Like, otherwise you're like, oh, there's this person and I'm tied to them and they're behaving this way. And it's blah. no, I love this person. I care about this person. And as long as this person exhibits this behavior that is unacceptable, I am not going to be present around that person. And I, I doesn't mean I don't care about them. It doesn't mean I don't wish the best for them. It just means they're doing a behavior that I, I, I'm not, I can't be around or it does not work for me to have an active ongoing uh, relationship with that person. 
But for me, I can't, I've never been able to do that until I can separate the person and the behaviors. Because then I can say, I really care about Stephanie Goss. And until she stops doing a thing you don't do, like uh, yelling at the staff, she can't come to the staff meetings. Like she, she can't, or she, I think she, I think the world of her, she cannot be on our team because she cannot get along with this one person. And, you know, and it, and it causes damage to our team. I think she's great. I'm a, t- I'm a total tyrant. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm completely making up things. It just in case that wasn't obvious, but, but yeah, but you see what I'm saying though, right? Yeah, for um, sure. For but sure. Yeah, you, you've, you've got to separate the person from the behavior. And then you have to coach the behavior. You have to give feedback to the behavior. You have to hold people accountable for their behavior. None of those things mean that you don't care about that person. And if you can make that split, now we're immediately in a headspace where we can start to effectively manage this person who we like and who we're worried about. And also we're going to hold this person accountable. But that's, I can't do that until I make that tactical move of separating the person and the behavior. And I send my love to the person and I manage the behavior. And that might mean this person is going to be managed out of the practice. I don't want that, but you know, I, I, I'm, I manage the behavior. And if it, if that's where it goes, because the behavior doesn't stop and it's toxic and it's damaging and it's putting patients at risk, I am going to manage that behavior uh, possibly out of our practice. And it's not going to change my feelings about the person who is exhibiting those behaviors. And the thing that I would add to that is um, I'm sure that there are people listening, um, even even me listening to you, I'm thinking in my head about situations that I have been in where I have had someone who is exhibiting behavior that I don't like. This mm-hmm. is really freaking hard. Like separating mm-hmm. the behavior from the person is really, really hard work. And so if you're sitting here and you're listening to us and you're just like, oh, Andy makes it sound so easy. It's not. <laughs> it's no. Really- really hard it's hard for both of us too and i like i think that a big part of it for me is if you're that person who's like this is really really hard when we get to the you know the what do we do about it piece of it i think that it's important to recognize that before you tackle the actual action steps your work might begin in the headspace piece and you may have to do some work whether that is writing out how you feel whether it's talking it out with an outside uh, perspective person whether it's a a professional like a therapist or someone who doesn't work with your team and getting some outside perspective on it there is actual work for all of us that has to be done there every time even if the work for some of us the work is like okay I'm going to work through these things and it's a relatively short process. And there have been times in my life where I have had to work through this for someone, someone very close to me. And that headspace work was long and painful and and hard. And it took me quite a while before I got to the place where I could be like you were saying, Andy, okay, here's the person, here's their behaviors. And now I feel like I can move into the action space where I'm starting to have the conversations or I'm doing something about it. So I think yeah. it's just I think it's just worth mentioning because a lot of times I know I'll listen to people talk or I'll be at a, you know I'll be at a conference, I'll be in a lecture or I'll be listening to a podcast and I'm like, "Oh, it sounds so nice and pretty and easy when they <laughs> when they talk about it." Yeah. Um and I think that's th- that's something you know you and I both uh, both still struggle with and it it is work. It will always be work. Oh sure, it's it's always going to be work. It's always going to be easier to say I can't stand that person than to say this person exhibits behaviors that I can't stand. Yeah. But I'll tell you, one of those things is much easier to fix than the other. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, for so, sure. So that's it. So that's the, sure. first, that's the first thing. The second thing for Headspace is remember that management is balancing needs. And we talk about this whenever we talk about people who are having uh, mental health struggles in the, in the practice or, or people who have outside life challenges that they're yep. bringing, when they're bringing their personal life into, into practice, always end up talking about this. But management is about balancing needs, which means you can care about this person. And also, it is the responsibility of management to, to care about that person and to care about the other staff members and team members who are going to have to pick up the slack for this person who's not doing what they're supposed to do. And we have to balance the needs of the pet owners who do not feel like they're getting the service or the attention that yep. they need, or they're frustrated because they have to come back because their pet didn't get the services they were dropped off to get. Right. And we have to balance the needs of the pet that did not get the level of care that right. it needed to get. And so 
I like that perspective a lot because it makes hard decisions a lot easier for me. If I look at one person, I get totally focused on that person and I'm like, what do I do about this person? What do they need? I don't know that I know they're struggling. I know they're having this hard time. Then I can really get bogged down in, you know, is it is it the kindest thing to, to let this person go? Do I give them another chance? What do you think? Uh, zooming out and looking at everyone's needs and how they're being affected generally makes, it makes the decisions easier. It also makes the conversation much easier because I can go to this person without judgment and ultimately say, hey, I'm concerned about this aspect of patient care. I'm concerned about the client experience. I'm concerned about the other team having to pick up the slack because of these behaviors. And it, the, so, so full stop, I need, I need these behaviors to, to, to end um, in order for us to keep working together. Yeah. Well, and I, I need your help too, right? Because so, yes. so I think about it from a management perspective and my inclination, you know, there, there were times where I had hard conversations with my team and it, I hate to say it this way, but it felt a lot of times like I was having a conversation with one of my kids and I have two mm-hmm. and they're very close in age. And one of them, the conversation always tends to go back to, well, I, you didn't make them do that. You didn't, you know, you treated them differently, right? And so a lot of time in the practice, I would have a conversation that's like, well, why did you take the side of the client? I didn't take the side of the client. I, I, I balanced in the moment and said, look, this pet needs to, to be taken care of, right? We, they were dropped off. We didn't do our job. So I'm mm-hmm. going to make sure that we do our job. We take care of the patient. We take care of the client. And then, um, and that may feel like I am taking their side and- I'm getting that really what I'm doing from a manager perspective to your point, Andy, is balancing that because now if I take the weight of taking care of the patient and the client off the scale, now I can look at the rest of it and I can sit down with you and I can have that conversation and say, hey, this isn't like you. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is this was the consequence. This was the conversation I had to have with the client. You know, I had to give them their money back or I had to have. And and yes, I'm worried about that, but I'm more worried about you because this is not like you. W- what's going on and how can how can I help support you? Because to your point, uh, this this is uh, very uncharacteristic and I can't or or it can't continue but really it's yeah. about how do I support you as a as a person, right? Because then you're only weighing that person and the rest of the team. And so now instead of balancing four things, I've dealt with the client and the patient, and now I'm dealing with the team and this one individual, which makes that balancing um, a little bit easier, I think. Yeah, I I, agree. I do agree. I, I think part of it for me is a math problem. And I, I hate to, and this is intentionally taking the emotion out of it. Uh, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I said, sure. I, 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 I don't tend to forget the human aspect. That comes very naturally to me. And so I have to work more to take the human aspect out so I can make clear-headed decisions. Sure. And so a lot of times this is a math problem because people will come to and they'll say, um, what is the, the question that was asked was, what is the point of no return? And right. I will say to you, that, my friend, is a math problem. Yeah. Add up the damages to the pet, uh, to the pet owner, the client experience, to the doctors that are delegating the damage to their trust, the damage to the team that's having to make up for mistakes or things that are not getting done, and the frustration that you feel in having to manage this and the amount of time you're putting into cleaning up this mess. Sure. Put that against the convenience of keeping this person, giving them time to work, you know, and and figure out what the math says. And really, it a lot of things really depend on what the collateral is. If the if if the person's is not making very many mistakes, and this is not that it's a once in a blue moon sort of thing, we're going to keep talking to this person and coaching this person. If they're making serious mistakes and and life threatening mistakes for our patients, that that's going to be a wildly different yeah. equation when we look at it. And so, sure. anyway, that but that that's it. But it just. Um, the whole part, I guess, my first part of headspace is separating the person from the behavior allows me to look more clearly at what is happening. And then the whole balance approach lets me look at all of the moving parts and pieces together in sort of a non-emotional way. So that's where, it's, that, that's where I would start. Um, I, think, I think once you do that, then you can go into the human side and you know what the, what the you know, what the battle, battlefield sort of looks like, you know, what what's happening, what the consequences of these behaviors are, what the behaviors are themselves, you know, all those things. And so you can go and talk to the person and say, Hey, I'm concerned about you. Are you like, what's going, what's going on is a big one. Start from a point of being curious. This is just classic, you know, uh, root cause analysis and performance evaluation is what's, what's going on. How are you doing? 
Where's your head at? I couldn't help but notice these things. How are you feeling? What's going on with you? And asking and just asking the questions. And so, uh, you know, we start with those things. And a lot of times we can come and we can talk about the behaviors and the person may have a very justifiable reason for feeling the way that they feel. And you can say, the way you feel is justified and I hear it and we are working on it. And at the same time, these behaviors cannot continue. Sure. Full stop. And and now I, I feel like to me, that's a, that is a place I'm very comfortable in working because I have done the things empathetically of understanding this person, hearing where they're coming from. And I have also communicated like what the obstacles look like going forward. And now I feel like I'm in a good headspace to, you know, to navigate this. What are their needs? What are our needs? Let's see if we can work out an arrangement and we'll have to see how it goes. And maybe we can get this person back on track and we can sort of help support them and we can bring them through and out the other side. And I've definitely seen that and I've seen people re-engage. Uh, maybe they're spiraling downward and they're going to continue to spiral downward and we're going to have to be uh, conscientious and we're going to have to set expectations and set boundaries for ourselves and our practice about what we'll put up with and what we'll tolerate and what's acceptable and what's not. And then we're going to have to kind of let the chips fall when they're where they may. One of my favorite sayings, just to remember, is there's three things you can't control, the past, the future, and other people. And so you can't make this person do anything. All you can do is be kind and supportive and clear about what your boundaries are and what is required in order to continue to be on your team. Anything else? I like that. Uh, anything else from a headspace perspective for you? No, I mean I think that those those are the those are the big those are the big things for okay. me and just getting my head straight about this is yeah I, I think oftentimes I, I I'm so I'm so empathetic of people and I really want them to succeed and I'm such a cheerleader I, I I have to go through those so if you're hearing these steps and you're like man Andy's getting pretty pragmatic pretty fast I go yeah that's it's it's my nature to to care a lot about people and, and to want to help and support people and so I have to actively engage headspace for me it has to be on the other side which is, um, you know, which is going to be like, what, where, where is the point of no return? And I'm, I need to try to get some clarity on that so I can coach to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with, with you and I have had to do a lot of work to do the first step that we talked about, which was, you know, caring about the person and separating them from the, from the toxic relationship, separating from a toxic relationship or separating them from their behavior. Right. That is, <laughs> that's what a lot of work in recovery is about. <laughs> so I've done a lot of that work. So that piece comes easier for me. I would say for me, the headspace work, like is that, that balancing piece. And so I think that um, it's a, it's about, separating the behavior from the person, figuring out how you're going to balance the things. And then I love, I love your last point about, you know, knowing, knowing what you can control and, and what you can't and getting to that space where then you are like, okay, now that I've worked through all of this, now I'm ready to figure out what, what do I do here? Which is, I think the whole point of the email they were asking, you know, what is, what is the point of no, you know, no return, but also like, for me, the unasked question is then, then what do you do about it? Like, you know, this is about a, per this is about a personal thing. Um, and so how, how do you deal with that? Do you want to take a break right here and then come back and talk about what, it, what do we, the, what do we do about it part? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hey gang, I want to make sure that if you are in the role of medical director, that you hear this. Andy and I talked on the episode about our medical director summit, and I wanted to make sure that you knew where to go to sign up because we want to see you there. Whether you're in private practice or you're in corporate practice, the position of medical director is a unique one. You have the challenge of balancing the medicine and quality for your hospital, along with usually some management responsibilities and partnering with a practice manager to run the hospital efficiently, effectively, and in true partnership. And so we decided after working over this last three years with hundreds of multi-site medical directors and practice leaders that we wanted to do a summit just for our medical directors. So we have something coming up in September. It is happening September 27th. It is a one-day virtual summit and it is going to be awesome. We've got some workshops from people who are in medical director roles, both in private practice and corporate practice. And we are bringing people 
people together across the industry. Doesn't matter what hospital you work for, you've got commonality. We're bringing you all together and building a community where you can share the highs and the lows of being a medical director with your peers. So head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events and you can see the sign up link for the medical director summit. Again, it's happening in September and we would love to see you there. All right. So let's come back and start to talk about how we actually how we actually set this up, right? Okay. Uh, so, so the first action step for me always is our safe conversations that we use all the time, right? Sure. So safe, S-A-F-E-S is can you sit next to this person? Can you smile at this person? If they have done something that has made you furious, if you just had to clean up a big mess and an angry client and you're, and you're triggered and you're mad at them, that's not the time to have the conversation. Like- <laughs> We might put a pin in this until you can sit next to that person and you can smile at that person because being triggered or being angry is a terrible way to start this conversation, right? A is assume good intent, Mm -hmm. right? Assume this person is trying their best. Don't assume that they don't care and they don't want to be here and they hate this place and they hate you and blah, blah, blah. That's assuming the worst intent. It's really easy with someone like this, especially someone who's burned out to say they don't give a crap. They think it's just a job because they're telling you it's just a job. It's really easy to assume that they're lazy. They're trying to take advantage of the system. They don't really care about the patients, things like that. It's better to assume that this person is really struggling. Well, and don't assume that they're burned out would be the other the other oh, assume that I would say here to yep. your, to your point earlier, right? Which is don't don't confuse the person and the behavior. You've got to force yourself to be in that place. And if you can't separate that and you can't look at it like this person is burned out, if you can't have the conversation and assume the intention thereof, I'm worried about the behaviors. Like you're not ready to have the conversation. I would say either. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's fair. I think I think that's a that's a good point. So uh, assume good intent or assume noble intent. Uh, F is, um, has this person been set up to fail? What here is my fault? Mm-hmm. You know, have we, have, we, have we given this person opportunities to get help? Or have we, do we have pieces, uh, things in place that can be resources for someone who is starting to, uh, to, to just say burnout? Let's just say that's, that if that's what's happening. Sure. Um, have, ha- have we been working shorthanded? It sounds right. like, yeah, this person in some way, they kind of have been set up to fail. We know that everybody's been really busy. And so, right. you know, one of the things I would do is make sure when I go and talk to this person, I'm not going to go, hey, look, your behavior is not where it needs to be. I think what I can say is, hey, I understand. We have been really, really busy. And I think everybody is struggling a bit under the workload. And I think by owning that as a leader, I can help take some of the pressure off this person's shoulders and hopefully help them feel less defensive. A lot of times when you go in and say, hey, I want to talk to you about your behavior, the person immediately gets defensive. When I go in and say, hey, I understand the situations that we've been working in are not ideal. I get it. And I know that we have been shorthanded for a long time and everybody is tired. And I, I understand all of that. And that just as a nice opening, um, hopefully lowers the chances of the person going immediately super defensive and shutting the conversation down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's a that's a piece, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard as a manager and as a leader sometimes to look at that because it feels like by acknowledging that you're saying that you couldn't do your job, right? And that can feel really, really personal. And there have been times where I have been having a conversation with someone and I feel myself starting to defend the thing mm-hmm. and and focus on their behavior because that is a really hard thing to say. But if you, I think you are so spot on that if you can say, hey, the schedule sucks. Like I realize yeah. that I, I am not, I am doing the schedule as best I can and I'm still short three people. And so you are working shorthanded with three less technicians. I recognize that. I know that I can control that. And I am trying really hard. And it still doesn't change the fact that I see you and I see what you guys are all working through. Right. Like that. That just puts someone in a very, very different place. And if you can, if there's one skill that I learned to master um, or that I hope to master as a as a manager, but that I use it's it's that because let me tell you guys mm-hmm. the difference that it makes for people in starting with vulnerability and being honest. It just changes someone's demeanor when you start there versus, hey, you're doing this thing and we've got to talk about this thing that you're doing. Right. It just it just takes away that um, attacking feeling. I feel like in in so many, so many instances. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. 
And then E in safe is the end result. What is the yeah. end result you want? I would caution you against the end result I want is for this person's behavior to be 100% changed and them to be their old self. Right. I don't think that that is a reasonable end result for a conversation. The end result for me is I would like to have a clear understanding of what is going on yes. that has caused this person's behavior to change. I would like them to understand my concerns and my needs. And then I would like to leave with ideas that I can implement that might support them. How can I, an understanding of how I can try to help them get back on track. And th that's it. And you'll say, but Andy, you're, you, you haven't actually affected the behavior. And I would say, I know. My first conversation is going to be an expectation, communication, understanding conversation. And... We're going to start to talk about what we need. And then based on what is said, we'll, we'll figure out how to go from there. Yep. Yeah. For for me, that, um, that end result always is I want to leave the conversation with a plan. And I am 110,000% okay with deciding the plan at the end of that conversation. Because I might go into the conversation thinking this is going to be a disciplinary conversation and I might let this person go. But what if, hallucinate with me for a second, what if I ask them what's going on and they share information that radically changes what I was thinking? I want to be okay to say, oh, I'm going to throw that plan out the window and now I'm going to make up a new plan. But I think that as, as a leader, one of the areas where we can let our people down, to your point, making sure that they have access to the resources is hugely, hugely important because it's not our job to be mental health professionals. It's not yeah. our job to, to to get into their personal lives and support them. And so I think part of that action step is if you're getting information from them that there is stuff going on in their personal life, you need to support them and have resources available to separate yourself from that. And I think the, N, the E should always be, what is the plan? What is the next step? When are we going to circle back to this conversation? Because 98% of the time, I would say these are not one and done conversations. Right. Occasionally, yeah, maybe it is a one and done. It was a, you know, it was a fluke thing. But most of the time you're sitting down because there's a pattern and there has to be some sort of follow up. And we have to be able to tell the people on our team as leaders and as managers what that follow up plan is going to be and then actually execute on that plan. Yeah, I'm really glad you added that. That 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 absolutely needs to be part of the end result is where do we go from here? When will we meet back again? How you know, how are we going to measure success? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. So that, that was my point in um, in the when saying what's the end result and this mm -hmm. is going to be a multi-step process. Anytime you have a multi-step process, you need to have clarity about what the next step is when we're getting back together. So I love that. All right. So, so the first, so the first one for me is, is safe. The second one for me is, um, is how you set yourself up. And I think a lot of people who are managers go into these conversations and they are like, I am the law. And you are going to have to meet my needs and demands. And they don't, they don't say it that way necessarily. But in their mind, they are like, I am the enforcer of the rules. Sure. I am the one who is going to make you do the thing. I'm going to make you behave. They're going right? in with the stick of accountability. They're going in with the stick. With exactly. It. Yeah. Yes. All right. So you can do that. But there's another way to do it that I think is really important. And I really think this is a huge differentiator between... Uh, fairly inexperienced managers and much more advanced managers. And it's where you position yourself on the playing board, right? On the playing field. And so uh, I win. The 4th of July, I go to this cookout, right? And uh, these are my wife's friends. So so my wife is amazing, just so you know. My wife is, and you know this stuff, but my <laughs> wife is amazing. I do. Uh, and she is, she is so brilliant. I mean, so much smarter than me. So much smarter. She's a college professor. She's a total badass. She does Olympic weightlifting as a hobby. She's freaking amazing. Uh -huh. um, so she's badass. Anyway, so at this, so we, so we go to the same Fourth uh, of July party every summer, and uh, one of our work colleagues puts it on, and so we're there, and uh, the husband of the work colleague comes up to me and he says, hey, I'd like to ask for some parenting advice from you. Me, Allison's uh -oh. there. She, he, does not, he does not ask Allison. He asks me, Andy, I would like some parenting advice from you. Okay. And, and I was like, okay. You know, and uh, if you want to make my head swell, ask me for advice. I'm like, right. I, no one. I would one, love to give you advice. Exactly. No one has ever been like Andy Rourke 
talk to me about parenting. Like this never happened to me. If you want to talk to me about knife sharpening, I'm your guy right now. Him, like I've got it. I've been practicing for a day straight and I have sharpened every knife I can find. I am raring to go. Parenting, not so much. But anyway, so he says to me, he's like, uh, in our house, you know, my husband sets the gold standard. Okay. Right? Nothing gets done part way. And it's, this is why I never miss Fourth of July is because everything at their gathering is just so, you know, it is like the food is amazing. Uh-huh. The garden is weeded. Yep. The, you know, the 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 umbrellas are the shade umbrellas are right. set up just so there's there's like lovely outdoor patio furniture. Not as nice as mine <laughs> when it gets here, but real good. Anyway, I might have gotten inspired by their by their by their cookout. Anyway. OK, so he says. <laughs> He says, um, our son, so their son is probably five. He has recognized that one parent sets the bar real high in right. everything. And the other parent doesn't set it <laughs> as high. And what is so funny is this person was like, who else has a family like this? And he looked right at Andy Rourke. Like, that's a guy who does not set the bar as high as his partner does. And... <laughs> Totally nailed it. I was like, I see why you walked through a room of highly intelligent, accomplished people and came directly to me. It's like, you look like a man who does not push for excellence or your spouse does. And it must like, be because he knows that you have a bad dog. Oh, a hundred percent. So anyway, he not was because, like, not because you're not a good parent. Well, Finn is like, hey. I'm done cleaning my room. And uh, and Michael, it's his name. Michael has to say, well, you know this is not going to fly. <laughs> right. This is not going to fly. And, right. and so he's like, I don't want to undermine my spouse. I don't want to roll my eyes and say, I think this is a ridiculous that you have to get your room this clean. I want to be supportive of my spouse. And also, my kid 100% sees what's going on. Right. And knows yes. that I would not clean the room right. to the <laughs> level that he's being required to clean the room to. <laughs> And so I thought about for a second and I just started talking as I do. And I was like, all right, how familiar are you with the Hunger Games? And he was like, oh, I know all about the Hunger Games. Bear with me. I promise it's going somewhere. Uh, The Hunger Games. I was like, okay, remember the coach in the Hunger Games, Hamish? Uh And he was like, yes, I remember. I was like, Hamish wanted the contenders to succeed. Like they were his charges and he was their mentor. He wasn't their friend. He was their mentor. And he was also, he couldn't control the Hunger Games and he was respectful of it. It was like, hey, I love you, but this is what the deal is in the Hunger (laughs) Games. Like you got it. Like I'm here to help you be successful given that this is how the world is. Right. That's the role I'm talking about in management. I know there's a long way to go, (laughs) but instead of being like, I am the law. You're going to do what I say because I'm holding a stick. I see myself more as Hamish, who says, look, these are the rules of the Hunger Games. And I'm rooting for you. And I want you to be successful. And I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. And so that's what I'm talking about, about putting yourself in a different position. If you go into this and you're like, look, I'm sorry, but I am the law and you will do what I tell you or else you'll be gone. That's just fundamentally a terrible place to be. And no one means to be in that place, but they don't think there's an alternative. And there is an alternative. The alternative is to say, hey, this is what is required for our teams to feel safe, for our patients to be safe, for our pet owners to be happy and coming back for us to live up to our values. This is what is required. And I am here to support you in achieving those goals, those requirements. How can I help you get there? And how fast can we get there? Because we cannot continue on not meeting these requirements, but I'm here for you. And so anyway, I know that's a long kind of weird story to get to, but it was in my mind recently, it just really crystallized the idea of you don't have to be the law to respect the law and to say, you know, and again, I was really, when I was giving parenting advice, I was like, <laughs> be honor your spouse, right? Be right. supportive of your spouse. And also just don't BS like, no, I would totally make you do this. Like, <laughs> this is what is going to be required. And you yeah. know, it's what's going to be required. Right. And I am not going to undermine. 
I, right. you know, just like as the manager, I'm not going to be like, look, honestly, this is what the practice really requires. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna let look you the just, other way. You know, yeah, I'm gonna let you get yeah. off. Like, no, don't. That, it's not. Yeah. That's not an option. I'm gonna support you, and I will help you in meeting the standards. And that's who I am as a leader. So I'm communicating the standards to you, and then I'm helping you to cheerlead to get there. So anyway, I know that was a, one of the weirdest <laughs> examples that I've probably given in a while, but. You don't have to be the law. You can be Hamish, who is cheering and coaching and guiding someone to meet the harsh expectations that are reality. Bam. And if they fall short, then they still fall short. And you can say, I'm sorry, we can't continue on. But it's not make me happy or else. And I, I love I love that you told that story because I think um, that is definitely a piece of the management puzzle is that look ultimately maybe this person maybe this person is can, exhibiting behaviors that are unacceptable and maybe that can't continue and if i don't look at the f and safe and i don't look at how i set them up to fail if i don't feel like i have been their cheerleader i have supported them and i have done all of the things that are within my power to do to help then i will if i have to let them go I will struggle with that and I will feel bad. And I will tell you the times that I have had, I have felt bad letting somebody go. It's because I damn well knew that I didn't do my job good enough. And if mm. I feel like I have done my job and I have supported them and I have been their cheerleader and I have been clear about the expectations and I've done all of the things, I don't, I, I, I feel, still feel bad bad because I know that it's impacting sure. someone's life on a human level, but I don't feel bad letting them go because I have done my part. And I think your point about the Hunger Games is a true true one, because if you've done yeah. your role as a mentor and you have given them all of the tools and they die like that, you've got to live with that, right? You've got, you've got to be able to sleep at night. And so for me as a manager, like that's the way that I sleep at night is to say, look, here are the requirements and I'm going to cheerlead you. I'm going to give you the resources. I'm going to do all the things. But at the end of the day, to your point in the headspace, I can't change the person. I can't control right. other people. You have to do the work. And if you don't do the work, I don't own that. And so I think that that's, that's a really, really important part in the action step perspective because it really helps. Um, I don't know. It helps me sleep at night. Well, I completely agree with that, 100%. The thing, and I, and I agree also about being okay with it, because I've always wanted to be okay with this. Because if I, again, I can't control those people, which means I have to be okay if this doesn't work out. And that whole laying down the expectations, helping coach, that that's a big part of it. The other thing that I messed up the most early in my career, and honestly, it's probably the most common way to see people mess up, is they don't start early enough. Mm -hmm. They yep. wait until the behaviors become so bad you can't right. ignore them, right. and then they intervene. Right. And that's when I have felt bad before, because I'll be like, hey, look, you've got three weeks to make a significant impact right. on Because the team behavior. is ready to mutiny. Because the team is done. Like, <laughs> right. they are about to right. mutiny. And I'm like, and then that is a thing where I dropped the ball because I saw the behaviors. I just didn't say anything. Right. And if I had intervened six weeks earlier, I could have, I don't know if I could save the person, but I could have probably, first of all, it's a whole lot easier to change behaviors before they get ingrained and become habits. Right. And so I could have done a lot more if I had intervened early. So that that's another one for me is start early. Too many people wait until things are just can't be salvaged. The team's about to mutiny. There's high pressure and the whole thing just is just too late to say. Yeah. Right. S stay on task. Right. When you start to talk to someone, uh, especially if they have other things going on in their personal life, it's really easy to get drawn into what's going on with them. Yeah. Don't let yourself be drawn in. You can be empathetic without drifting off task. Stick to what is required here at the clinic, what the impacts at the clinic are, what it is when we're here at work. And then you can provide resources for people. Like I said, we talked about employee assistance programs, things like that. You can be sympathetic to the person, but avoid being drawn into helping them fix their personal outside of work problems. That's just not your domain or your purview. And I love that you said that because I don't know from this email if this person is a coworker, a peer of this technician, if they are a team lead and they're somewhat responsible for this person's behavior as a fellow technician, or if they're a practice manager or some combination of, of all of those things. And I think knowing 
knowing your relationship to that person and knowing how to stay on task because it's so easy to get drawn in as a peer to other people's it's easy across the board but especially Mm -hmm. if you're a peer to that person likewise like no no one to ask for help. So, so for me, the saying on task has to do with have the conversation and have it in the relation in the context of your relationship with this person. So if you're a peer, oh my gosh, go to this person and say, Hey, I'm worried about you. Like I care about you as a coworker, what's going on. And if you're getting information back that you can't do anything with, and you're like, Oh, this person needs resources and that's not your job, that's when you have the conversation with your team lead or your practice manager and just say, hey, I know someone on our team is struggling. Are there resources that are available for us as a team? If you know what the resources are, sharing them yourself, obviously, but also recognizing like what is the context of your role here and not being afraid to ask for help for this con- for the for the conversations that will help it stay on on task here because maybe you do need maybe you are a team lead and maybe you've been struggling with this person because it is your responsibility but look if it's becoming a pattern of behavior to your point about don't wait too long the practice manager needs to be involved in that before it's to the point of like okay i've given this person 19 write-ups and now i would like to fire them no 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 no, no. your practice manager needs to know when you're starting to have those conversations hey just a heads up this is the thing that's going on i wanted to just put it on your radar right because then it makes the ask for help when you need to actually deal with the situation that much easier yeah well if you're a team lead you know the first thing you need to do (laughs) what it's sign up for the Uncharted Team Lead Summit on November the 8th. It's a one-day virtual event. It's yeah, only yeah. for team leads. There's nothing else out there to help team leads deal with this exact type of stuff. Yes. And we're on it. So anyway, uh, I know where you can find that. It's unchartedvet.com, Team Lead Summit. I'd love to see you there. All right. Um, if you are the team lead, if you're the manager, if you're the peer, and this is so simple, but it gets overlooked a lot, lean into positive reinforcement. Yeah. If somebody's tired and they're like, it's just a job and they've lost their passion for the job, one of the things that you can do that A, helps correct the behavior and B, helps respark their passion is give Pull them out the good positive things. feedback. Yep. Catch them when they are doing a good job and just say, hey, thank you. That meant a lot to me. Hey, I saw you do that thing. You, Man, you were amazing with that case. Hey, I just, you were such a huge help for me. I just, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate your help. And you'll say, but that's not fixing the negative things they're doing. And I go, nope, it's not. But we all know how training works. If we positively reinforce behaviors, I don't care who who you are, uh, you can be trained. If we positively reinforce behaviors, we can cause those behaviors to happen more frequently. And the other thing is, everybody loves to feel appreciated. Everybody likes to be recognized. It does not mean, and and again, here's the other thing. Some people are like, but if they're making mistakes, they can't positively reinforce them. And I go, I don't know. Let's think about training that you and I know and have seen. Uh, Do we not give positive reinforcement to a doc that we're trying to train if they have a mistake somewhere? No, we immediately set them back up to succeed and praise their successes. And again, I've said this a million times in case you haven't heard me say it. when I talk about training dogs, look, we are all simple animals. I right. don't care who you are. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care what your role is. You're a simple animal. And so when I talk about this, how we uh, parallels between training dogs and people, I don't care who the person is. This is how this is how mammal training works. Right. It, it just is. <laughs> I just love making that. that clear. I love cool. that. I think I think you already hit. We're gonna wrap up here real quick. I think you already hit on the big ones. If your management one on one meetings are your friend. Let's set a cadence. Let's get back in. Let's do check-in meetings so I can continue to support you and see how things are going, right? That's it. Uh, Pick your metrics. How are we going to measure success? What are the things that we're looking on? And I'm just, I don't, you don't need metrics as far as like, I want to see your customer satisfaction scores, blah, blah, blah. I, I want to try to give clear examples of what I'm looking at and what I care about and how I'm going to measure success so that me and the person are both looking at the same things. So I just, I want to avoid the thing where they come in and go, man, did you see how I turned it around last week? It was amazing. Man, I did all the things right. And you're like, actually, the three things that I care the most about, you did again. And uh, I am wildly unhappy with you. Like that is such a hard thing when they think they did good and you think that they didn't do good and you have to tell them that, uh, heartbreaking. And so just try to get that clarity. But again, that one-on-one doesn't have to be a ton of time. It can be a five-minute check-in, but set that cadence, put it on the calendar, because otherwise you know it's not going to actually happen. Put it on the calendar, make sure it happens. I, you know, lock eyes, 
talk about what we're doing. Remember to lead into the positive reinforcement. A lot of these people, the fastest way to turn them around is to celebrate them. And that may not seem like it's true. I promise it is. I love it. I love it so much. Cool. Okay. I think that's all I've got, except go go sign up for the events that we've got coming. Like that's exactly the, that's right. the ending of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Head over to unchartedvet.com. We'll put a link down in the show notes. Like yeah. I said, um, virtual medical director summit. Again, there's not a lot of leadership. Uh, there's not a lot of leadership training. There's not a lot of support for medical directors. If you are a regional medical director, you're a medical director over, a, if you're a doctor and you oversee multiple hospitals, this is the best thing I think you're going to find for your role. I think you have a lot to add here. We work with, we work with literally hundreds of multi-site veterinary medical directors. Um, that's, we have done so much of that in the last couple of years. Um, I think we got something really special for you. So come and check it out. Anyway, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. I, I love it. And if you're a peer and you're listening to this, um, good, good for you. Like, I mean, yeah. good for you if you're a manager or, or a team lead, but like, especially if it's a peer who was writing this good for you for recognizing it and asking the question. And, uh, this is what culture conference is all about. Like, we're going to talk about all of that there. So there's something for everybody. Uh, you can head over to the website, unchartedvet.com forward slash events. We'll show you all of them and you can sign up. Otherwise, have a fantastic week. Andy, I'll see your face in a few days at AVMA. I know. See you very soon. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favor to ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.